Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash. We're watching live from the studio today. To Wendy and Zach Seward flanking me right and left. I wish you guys were here with me today. Also, wish Jen was here today. Oh, well. Oh, well. You guys aren't here. Let's go right to some stories today. Let's talk about Curve. CRV token is in the news again with more liquidations happening. Pretty wild stuff happening on chain. Curve is a foundational piece of the DeFi ecosystem that has been under pressure after a hack under its underlying token protocol took place earlier in the week that has put downward pressure on the CRV token. That CRV token is also underpinning multiple DeFi loans by the founder of Curve. Michael Egorov, who is now trying to bail himself out of a liquidity hole in the market. He's been uh, selling OTC uh, CRV tokens to Justin Sun and others in the DeFi ecosystem who are right now trying to bail him out. Wendy, I'm going to throw the story first to you. Pretty wild stuff happening on chain right now. And again, our hero, Justin Sun, here to fix all the problems for us. Okay, so this is the thing. We haven't heard an an announcement of an announcement of an announcement by Mr. Justin Sun in quite some time. And I feel like he's kind of successfully rebrand from the Tron guy to more of a respected entrepreneur in the crypto industry. I remember seeing like, I I feel like it was a year after the DeFi DeFi summer, he became very successful. I want to say it was on comp in the comp DeFi um, ecosystem. But he had done really, really well. Um, He started making more professional moves. And so it's very interesting to see him kind of be the hero in this, I guess. Not sure. But another thing that I want to kind of comment on is that with DeFi and crypto, you can literally see everything on chain. And a lot of times these types of things happen in traditional finance or in banking and whatnot, especially with some of the banking collapses. But the general public has no idea what's happening behind scene because everything is cash wires or you you can't necessarily track it. But with crypto assets, you can track all of this stuff online in real time. You can see exactly what people are doing. You can see exactly what a lot of these big centralized or decentralized entities are doing. So I think it's very, very interesting. And I think this is the exact thing that 
scares the public servants and scares the banks and scares like old school finance is that they're not going to be able to hide their dirty little secrets anymore. Everything will be public. Everything is on chain. And I just hope that this situation gets solved because I know that Curve is one of the big pillars in the crypto asset industry when it comes to DeFi. And I feel like we need some sort of happy medium between centralized finance and decentralized finance to really make things work and to fix the current monetary system we have that's pretty predatory. All hail His Excellency Justin Sun. Really remarkable. There's the Fed in the real world, but the backstop of the crypto ecosystem appears to be none other than Justin Sun. That's pretty remarkable. I think it's kind of crazy that that's where we are here in this present reality. Uh, that this is backstopping a pretty major piece of the DeFi landscape right now. You know, Justin Sun never shies away from controversy, right? He sees controversy as an opportunity to insert himself in conversation. And that is exactly what he is doing. He is doing today, right? He's saying, hey, I can step in here. I can make an investment. It may pay off handsomely. It may go down in flames, but at least I will be part of this conversation. And Justin Sun, to his credit, time and time again, does not shy away from the chaos. So you have to offer the tip of the cap to Justin on this one for inserting himself in this, what is pretty much like, yeah, pretty much a moment of chaos for, again, a pretty foundational pillar of the DeFi world. This is not to say that Justin Sun is not um, hugely familiar with DeFi. He's one of the bigger whales uh, when it comes to a lot of these lending platforms. So he knows his way around this stuff. But it is just amazing to see him time and time again emerge when there are headlines to be had. So it's also to you, Will. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a few thoughts here. I mean, this story itself is just emblematic of the place Justin Sun has held within crypto for quite a while, right? As this whale that comes at the last moment, fixes some problems, continues to exist. It's a fun part of crypto, just like following Justin Sun. It's like a full-time job almost just to be tracking him. And then on top of this, just look at Michael Egorov, who is embroiled in a, a lawsuit right now with some venture capitalists who are actually behind uh, a lot of the funding he got in the early days of Curve. So if you go back to 2020 and 2019, uh, Curve was this idea that we can have a, a simpler way to swap stable coins through a decentralized protocol online. In order to do that, they needed this thing called CRV token. And maybe they didn't need it, but it definitely helped out the protocol bootstrap liquidity. And that launched. But the way that it launched also helped Michael get a huge payday. He took a lot of this funding that he made from the VCs and from uh, mining his own token, and he went around and purchased some mansions with it, which have been posted quite a bit on Twitter in the last 48 hours. Uh, three years later, we're seeing the possible end result of mining your own token and then going out and purchasing real-world assets uh, with that token itself. There's a problem, right? All these things are based on loans. They're based on the token that is still outstanding there. And he's desperately searching for liquidity in the midst of a market that's falling apart because people are not believing in the CRV token at the moment. Uh, so we'll see how this all ends up. But we've seen this story time and time again where uh, a loan goes bad and can only get worse because the underlying token behind it, the asset behind it, is starting to fall apart as well. Wendy? I just want to talk about the loan aspect of this really quick, because I know in traditional finance, you see a lot of influencers, you see a lot of people talk about borrow money, borrow money, borrow money. That's how you make more money. And I feel like we don't address the risks of this enough. Like if you want to take a loan out on a house or, or an asset or on money or whatever that looks like, I feel like it's very important to understand what the risks associated are. I feel like it's very important to utilize disposable income to where if that loan gets called or something bad happens with it, you're going to be okay. Because a lot of people just push this, push this idea like scared money don't make money and 
you have to take loans out and this is how you get rich. You, you know, you buy houses, you refinance them, then you, you know, rinse and repeat. But in reality, people are not practicing risk management. They're not using their money in a safe manner. And when they kind of retort it back to rich people, well, this is what the rich do. They're not understanding that the rich have a lot more assets than they do. And they have a lot more, you know, liquidity to where they can sell something to kind of fix that loan or to repay that loan off. So I feel like it's very important to talk about like the degeneracy that we do see in our industry. And that might not necessarily apply to this particular story, but I do like to talk about the risks and talk about the realities of these things, um, even on my channel. So I kind of wanted to end it on that. Let's go on to the next story. Wendy, you're taking us away. Talk about same banking Street. Another great story for today. Can we do the side meter now, Control, please? We need yes. it. Okay, you guys. I don't know how I'm going to be able to get through this story without like snorting because it's just absolutely ridiculous. Okay. So there is a meme token called bald. And in no way is this financial advice. I'm not telling you to go buy this token for the love of, of crypto. Satoshi, please, please. This is just, um, it's a fairy tale, you guys. So apparently bald token rug pull may have been linked to Sam Bankman-Fried. I want to say that it was also announced yesterday that FTX 2.0 is coming about, which um, we won't talk about too terribly much. But um, bald token was a rug pull, which doesn't surprise me at all. If you, you guys, if you guys hear of a token that's like a food token or a aesthetic token or just something ridiculous and it's a meme coin, it's probably going to rug. 99% chance it's going to rug. So just be careful. But anyways, prices increased about 4 million percent from launch. <laughs> Blockchain Sleuths found that the contract that deployed the token may have been related to Alameda research wallets in the past. Wallet made hundreds of transactions in the past with hundreds of millions of dollars on Binance, Coinbase, and FTX. Wallet allegedly also had up to 400 transactions with UST, Terra, Labs, Stable, coin. And again, this just kind of goes back to you can track everything on chain. And if somebody is doing something naughty, you can catch them, unlike what we see in traditional finance. And this is why we see the public servants and the banks getting so mad at crypto is because they don't want their secrets to be found out. Zach. Wow. Bald. Wow. Nice pivot on that one. Thank you for the update. That was a good that was a good synopsis of what is indeed a crazy story. I think, you know, people love a good SBF headline, but really for the OGs in the room and Will, let me know. Let me know if you picked up on this too. Sam Tribuco is the real story here. Where in the world is Sam Tribuco, former Alameda Research Co CEO? And according to some digging by Igor, now of Wintermute, formerly of the block, a well reputed researcher in the space, it potentially could be him behind this thing that has captivated a lot of interest. Now, this is all alleged. This is all some sleuthing. There is no sort of uh, smoking gun that suggests that any one of these guys is involved in this thing. So all that should be stated. But to your bigger point, Wendy, I think it's absolutely spot on, right? The fact that you can do this independent sleuthing by way of blockchain analytics, by way of looking through these crazy clues that blockchain wallets leave across the internet is absolutely fascinating and makes this space so fun to cover because this can only happen in crypto. You can only sort of link these things together and suggest uh, a story behind how these wallets are interacting by virtue of the way that blockchains work. So credit to Igor on which a lot of this reporting appears to be based in the story. And it's really fascinating to see, again, the ability to track this stuff and make some, some suppositions, make some, uh, uh, an informed guess as to who might be involved behind something that the entire crypto world seems to be talking about and has its arms in the air freaking out about on the last few days. So I don't know. I feel like the Sam Tribuco angle, I think, Will, you might be able to latch on to that a little bit. I mean, he went over water and now this is sort of the last thing we've heard of him. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Did he uh, go fast over water? It seems like he's sold fast on chain, moving about a lot of funds there. 
Uh, so going to the story that Zach talked about here from Igor, in the thread it details how there are a bunch of different wallets and addresses that point back into Alameda's history, uh, touching it in a few different ways. Yes, these wallets do touch other exchanges like Coinbase or Binance, but for the most part, they share a lot of similarities with Alameda Research and some associated with FTX. Uh, these funds going back to 2019 and 2020 uh, definitely touched a lot of different protocols launching, including like SET protocol. Uh, these are just on-chain details that we can look at and be like, okay, maybe we know about who this person is, uh, especially when you pair it with some other information such as OTC trades that were known at the time or Twitter posts that were also known at the time. So go, definitely go check out that thread by Igor because it makes a pretty convincing case that this could be Sam Trabuco, the, the former uh, president and CEO of Alameda Research or co-CEO of Alameda Research who stepped down mere months before the implosion of both those firms. Uh, to my knowledge, they are not looking for Sam Trabuco at this point, uh, the, the authorities, but there is something there. The last thought, I want to go back to the Sam Bankman-Fried thing before we give it back to Zach, and that's, did SBF have involvement with this? Likely not, because he's, again, in his parents' basement with a Nokia, doesn't really have the ability to trade on chain uh, with any of the tech he's been granted. Uh, he has a list of websites that he's able to interact with, and that's about it. So it'd be very difficult for him to interact with anything on chain, right? They're not allowing him to have access to these things. But it could be that a former Alameda Research partner, former Alameda Research employee could be doing this. Uh, we just don't quite know at the moment but some great details on chain. It definitely kind of reeks of too good to be true, especially with the SBF angle here. So credit to the sleuthing, but it's all innocent until proven guilty. And I'm going to reserve judgment because if this, man, if this, this would be another another amazing be plot twist in the SBF FTX I just, saga. Guys, I got to interrupt really quickly and just say, just because somebody has specific restrictions on them doesn't mean they are not able to bypass them. I'm not saying he is bypassing them. I have just heard some very interesting stories from very interesting people about doing very interesting things. And I never put it past anybody to break the law. All right. Permissionless protocols. Who knows? Thank Anyone you. can do anything. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. All right, I will, I will take us away from the SBF saga. I'm joined by special guest, co-founder Lucas Henning of Suku. How are you doing, Lucas? How are things? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, Wendy, Will, great to meet you all. Yeah, so uh, thank you for being here. You guys recently teamed up with Polygon to issue NFTs directly to users of the website, now known as X, formerly known lovingly as Twitter.com. Talk to me about this sort of uh, easy onboarding experiment and some of the numbers that you guys uh, saw after doing this. Yeah, 100%. No, it's been uh, really uh, some really exciting weeks for us, actually. So we launched this Polygon NFT drop for the release of Polygon 2.0 that we're really excited about uh, from a tech perspective. And uh, our mission is really to make Web3 more accessible. So what we're doing is we're uh, creating NFT drops that are just directly dropped to a Twitter handle. And we did this for Polygon. We got over 50,000 NFTs minted in the first uh, 48 hours, actually, which was overwhelming for us. It was really cool to see that. And uh, the beauty of this is not only did we get those NFTs minted, we also got all those users onboarded to our wallet. So the cool thing about our wallet is you don't really need to have a wallet in the first place. We're onboarding anyone with a social media account. So in this case, a Twitter handle can be converted into any sort of uh, EVM compatible key. So, uh, of course, Polygon 
um, words um, like that. And uh, basically what we're doing is we're using the Twitter handle to create a wallet completely non-custodial on behalf of the user. I've got a question. So first and foremost, I am invested in Polygonmatic, full disclosure. Do you guys see yourself doing something similar to like what Reddit did with um, their digital collectibles and maybe this being like the official brand that does digital collectibles for X possibly because that sale or that that whole execution went super, super well. Like people I know that don't like crypto, that don't care about NFTs, they they were able to get those digital collectibles. They made a lot of money and they were happy. So do you guys see yourselves doing something like this in the future, potentially? Or is there something yeah, in the works you can't tell us? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff in the NFT space. And honestly, this um, our, our product, our protocol, I don't call it a wallet right now. I call it a protocol. It's so much bigger than just digital collectibles and NFTs. It's one use case that you can certainly execute using our protocol. But at the same time, and when you think about the, the possibilities that this enables, it's so much bigger than that. So we can enable uh, social media cross-platform payments by converting any sort of social media handle into an Ethereum uh, key pair. And when you think about it, we're uh, kind of like 14 years after, after Bitcoin was introduced and at, you know, the, the blockchain has been running for a while. And we're still using addresses that don't really work well um, for people, right? So you can enter the wrong address, you can enter, you can copy paste the wrong address or something like that. And there is a naming system out there um, that works really well, which is social media handles. Everyone has them, everyone uses them, everyone knows how they work. And if you combine those two, you are able to onboard a lot of users that haven't been introduced to the crypto space previously. And this is really powerful. And you can see it with the Polygon drop. We got 22 million impressions uh, in a period of three days, which wow. is uh, sort of incredible. And uh, I think there is no other wallet out there that has reached a conversion rate of 92%. So 92% of those NFTs that uh, were dropped uh, actually converted to users. So we actually got real logins because the login is so easy. So basically, you just need to go to uh, our website and log in with Twitter and you get access to a wallet and you can add more signers uh, as you kind of like graduate through our onboarding process. So essentially, you add more social media accounts. There's no seed phrase, no complicated stuff. It's so easy. Your grandma could do it. So yeah, Suka's been around for a while now. And I know you guys started off, you're, I guess you're formerly of, De of Deloitte, the, the staid world of enterprise blockchain from 2018, 2019. You guys left to do your own thing, did the supply chain stuff for a while. Talk to me about landing on uh, NFTs, specifically in the social space, and some of the efforts to more easily onboard users. What from the previous, I guess, iteration of Suku informed the decision to go more in this uh, area? Right. Yeah, Zach, you're touching on a very uh, interesting topic, actually, because it's always kind of like been our mission to make Web3 more accessible. And that uh, used to be the case back at Deloitte. It's, uh, it's been the case with uh, Suku since 2018 when we uh, founded the company. We've been trying to turn users that haven't really touched Web3 uh, in the past into crypto users. And I think uh, it's, there's still a huge demand for that out there. So we did that in the supply chain space very successfully. We um, did that um, by creating transparency on blockchain and making that accessible in the form of apps and things that people can use. And now we're doing it in the social media space, but also in... Uh, in the payment space. Um, and the interesting thing about this is that 
yes, we're building Web3, but at the same time, users are not even going to realize that this is Web3. We're just using the benefits of Web3. Our entire team is a team of uh, crypto natives. We strongly believe in the future decentralization, and we want to make all of that accessible to the average Joe. And I think that's something that hasn't really been done, because when you look at onboarding processes of wallets right now, then people still need to kind of like onboard to generate the address. You know, if, if you want to send crypto to someone, first of all, you need to like ask them for their address, right? And that's something that we want to remove. And I think um, there's a huge potential out there, not just for NFTs, but uh, for, for payments at the same time. Really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for that. Definitely bullish on the idea of making the onboarding process easier. And as Uniswap founder Hayden Adams recently said, vampire attacking Web2 models. So interesting to see this and some pretty positive results. Thank you so much for joining us. That was co-founder and CTO of Suku, which is Lucas Henning. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Good stuff. We're going to change gears to the world of regulation, regulatory enforcement. We mentioned it yesterday, some news out of the SEC that they are suing Richard Hart, founder of Hex, Hexicans everywhere, shocked by the allegations included in this action. Some pretty big numbers. One billion is the alleged amount of unregistered securities that were sold. And some pretty interesting details about Richard Hart's personal spending habits, including over a very large black diamond. I will toss it to Wendy for your thoughts on this action from the SEC. What do you think? All right. First off, I'm going to talk about this in a non-biased stance. This isn't shocking to me that the SEC is going after Richard Hart. Um, the SEC has a history of going after some of the largest names in the industry for publicity. We've seen Gary Gensler do this time and time again. However, just remember, just because the SEC or a public servant or a government entity decides to go after somebody or anyone in crypto doesn't mean that the allegations are true. We've seen the SEC claim that 13 assets on Coinbase were in fact securities, which is very interesting considering that the chair of the SEC, Gary Gensler, couldn't tell anyone under oath if Ethereum, the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap, was a security or not. So the SEC is alleging a lot of different things. And me personally, this doesn't come as a surprise. It doesn't come as a shock. Richard does have a very loud and flamboyant um, persona. And me personally, I'm waiting to see what happens with the evidence and what, what, what facts that the court is going to be or that the SEC is going to be able to provide against Richard and the things that they're saying that he did. Um, I'm a big supporter of the crypto industry in general, anybody that the SEC goes after, because at this point, I just feel like the SEC has a very terrible track record in going after people unjustly or entities unjustly. However, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that he's innocent or what he did was right. I'm simply waiting for more evidence to come out and then make a judgment based off of that when it does happen. But again, the SEC does not have a great track record when it comes to crypto assets or crypto folks. Fair enough. I think with this story in particular, though, we've all been waiting for quite a while and Wendy, you alluded to it, right? You're not surprised because I think a lot of people looked at this and thought like at some point this was going to happen. Uh, the Hexican community, Rich Large, which is just the name for this Hex community, people who bought into the Hex token, they've been purchasing these tokens in different iterations for years. It's been basically a profiteering fest for Richard Hart, who has used it to buy uh, one of the world's largest diamonds. He's well known for buying uh, the entire Gucci store out in New York whenever he visits. Uh, tons of Lambos. Like This is a man who saw the potential with issuing his own token and ran with it. Back in the day, Richard Hart actually used to be a Bitcoin maximalist, someone who thought that only Bitcoin uh, was the way forward. But then he also realized that he could become fabulously wealthy if he issued his own token and kept a gambit up for years. 
part of this is funny because if you look at this and you look at his online persona, it is hilarious. Like he's a jokester. He he has loud um, him walking out of the Gucci store, or just carrying all these bags. It's comical. But then you also look at the people who purchased Hex over the last four plus years, and the fact that the SEC did not do anything to stop this, even though it was obviously a scam from the beginning. That's the heartbreaking part. There's a lot of people who put tons of money into Hex just to lose everything. Uh, there is a documentary that's supposed to air pretty soon about this whole ordeal uh, that we look forward to seeing. And it does detail how there's a lot of people who, you know, they put their life savings in it and now they're looking at it as huge losses. Um, comparatively, $1 billion funneled into this token versus what happened with Luna. The Hex story starts to dwarf anything that we saw last cycle. Zach? Yeah, definitely par for the course for Gary Gensler's SEC and another one for the enforcement action history books. We'll see what transpires. Yeah, there's plenty for them to tackle. That's it for the show today. Will, you're saying goodbye. You're in studio, which is I'm saying goodbye from cool. studio. Will Foxley here. Thank you for joining us down at Coindesk. Zach Stewart flanking me and Wendy O on the other side. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place. Thanks for joining. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.